0: It is Dave Kinchen tonight, getting right into it. The worst and deadliest weekend in American history, uh, perhaps that we can think of in recent memory. I think that's more than a fair statement. We have uh, three mass shootings that have happened in a week's time span, but two that have happened this weekend and really within 13 hours of each other. Uh, we went to bed uh, with the gory and horrific details of... Uh, Uh, 20 people killed uh, in El Paso as uh, people went to a Walmart and did some back-to-school shopping with classes starting next week. And then we wake up to find that nine people were killed uh, in an entertainment district in Dayton, Ohio, a place where there's a bunch of bars and restaurants, people out. Uh, enjoying a nice weekend evening, and all of a sudden gunfire rings out, and there's scores more who were hurt. Uh, so we're going to what we're going to do today. I reached out to a friend of mine who is a former uh, police officer in the Philadelphia area. He's a great uh, resource for these kinds of things in terms of understanding a how they're investigated, b uh, the emotional toll that it these things take even on the investigators, but c uh, how. We can uh, secure ourselves and 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 our the, the places around us, you know situational awareness and and what we can do uh, to avoid becoming a casualty uh, if possible. Uh, nothing is foolproof, but the reality today is that everybody has to have a plan and everybody has to know exactly what's happening and how to get to safety, know where your exits are and all of that. So uh, he's also a former u s Secret Service. Uh, agent, or special agent, uh, and uh, John Edelsberger is his name. He will be joining us uh, soon for a good lengthy chat, uh, about 30 minutes about this, these mass shootings, mass shootings in general, uh, the profile of mass killers, uh, what drives them, and how... These cases can be better invest, investigated, quite frankly. And at times, the conversation uh, seems to be a bit frank with the realities of what we're dealing with and how this happens every so often, every few weeks. Uh, uh, and again, as we said, in the same day, roughly the same 24 hour period, less than that, uh, El Paso and Dayton. So I'm going to give you the details, and I'm, we're not going to get too detailed because obviously, a podcast. Uh, you know, We do this once a week at least. And so you listen to this on a Monday or a Tuesday. In these cases, the investigations have significantly changed. Uh, God forbid the death toll goes up because in both of these cases, Dayton and El Paso, there is a large number of uh, injured, including very seriously injured uh, folks. So we're, we're praying for them and keeping uh, our thoughts uh, with uh, those who are uh trying to deal with these injuries and recovering as best they can but also Mm. uh, you know the the families torn apart by uh, uh, sudden death and destruction here and uh, something that no family, no person who survives this will ever forget about as well and, and will ever truly be the same for, uh, after this. There's These things are, uh, you know, it's it's life-changing for the survivors left behind. It's life-changing. There's survivor's guilt. Uh, we talked about that with a survivor of the Pulse nightclub shooting. That was really the first show uh, we did, or I think the second show we did, uh, when we brought this program back, the podcast back, after a few years away. So um, that resource, that show is also out there, too we may tweet that out there um in fact i think we're going to put that up on our dave kinchin tonight facebook page too so uh, we got a lot of resources here but first we'll give you uh, the details as we know them so far um the the basics of what's happened here with really three mass shootings in a week's time span but uh two certainly within a 13-hour period so you have families that were uh, going shopping for back to school supplies at a uh, walmart in el paso this was um this was where 20 people were killed and 26 were injured. Uh, at least six of the dead Mexican nationals, CNN reports, uh, Mexican Mexico's president uh, said that um, they are looking at this investigation very seriously and uh, may... Uh, institute some uh, criminal penalties for the suspect, as well in addition to the american the penalties that this suspect will face on the American side. Uh, police arrested the suspected gunman a twenty one year old uh, white man from a suburb of Dallas uh, who drove almost ten miles to El Paso to uh, commit this This atrocity. Governor Greg Abbott said the case will be prosecuted, quote, as both a capital murder uh, but also as a hate crime. Uh, Police say they believe the suspect uh, and we're just not going to name the suspect here if you wanted the name of the suspect it's out there with uh major network and newspaper reports um but uh, we're just going to focus on those who the victims and, and focus on really survival in, in the chat that we're going to have with their expert coming up uh but the suspect wrote a four-page manifesto what's being called a document that was posted online uh that uh is loaded with uh, statements of uh, white nationalism and racist views. CNN reports uh, the FBI opening up a domestic terrorism investigation into the shooting uh, as well. And um, we can we can also tell you uh, that within 13 hours of the El Paso case, uh, nine people were killed in Ohio and 27 others were hurt uh, before uh, police shot the gunman dead uh, this was around 1 a.m. outside um, the, uh, the East 5th Street area in Dayton, Ohio's Oregon district. It's it's really a popular downtown area. There's a lot of bars and restaurants, nightclubs there. And uh, the suspect, a the 24-year-old uh, from just outside of Dayton, they say he wore a mask, body armor, and had hearing protection for the numerous gunshots and had extra magazines as well. Uh, the dead five men, four women uh, between 22 and 57 years old. Uh, one being the gunman's sister. Uh, that shooting happened as the suspect was a uh, making his way towards a bar called uh, Ned Peppers. Um, That's what uh, local authorities in Montgomery County had said out there. Uh, one witness telling uh, CNN or quoted by CNN, everyone was panicking and running around. Uh, and of course, this all comes from uh, a situation that happened in Northern California just days ago. That comes from it, but comes days afterwards at the the garlic, uh, Gilroy Garlic Festival, a renowned mm. festival in Northern California. Families were enjoying music and celebrating the town's uh, famous crop there, uh, and crowds had scrambled to escape on July 29th, CNN says, when a 19-year-old wearing tactical gear and carrying an assault-style rifle started firing, um, there were three people who died, uh, a six-year-old uh, Stephen Romero, 13-year-old... Uh, Keila Salazar and a 25-year-old Trevor Irby. They were all killed, 16 people wounded there. So, you know, this has just been happening and happening and happening again. Um, So we turn to our expert for some answers and some insight on this as we try to process this. And um, and there's there's so much that's been happening. Uh, President Trump made some comments today, and you know we were, by the way, we were going to talk about the political. Uh, we we were going to talk about the last debate that happened in Detroit, uh, but honestly, it just didn't feel right to do that with uh, you know everything that's happened so far. Uh, these three mass shootings in uh, a week span. Um, Trump said uh, hate has no place in our country. Uh, and uh, meantime, Democrats uh, and there are, there is a political story here. Um, we're not. We don't want that to overshadow the victims and everything that happened. But we do know that uh, uh, several of the Democratic candidates for president have been calling for uh, action on uh, a background checks bill that passed the House that they want the Senate to vote on. In addition to that, uh, there's been uh, some. Uh, Democratic candidates running for president who have blamed uh, President Trump for his rhetoric uh, for uh, the case, at least in El Paso, with uh, the suspect uh, claiming white nationalist views. President Trump saying, again, that uh, uh, hate has no place in the country. So um, that's a very uh, kind of in a nutshell. Where are country's major politicians on both sides, especially in the campaign season where they've been weighing in uh, as this has unfolded over the last uh, 24 hours or so and that will continue the debate the discussion will certainly continue on Monday um, on the policy side of it on the political side of it but most importantly on the investigation side of it and, and really more importantly on the side of who these victims were who they are uh, who was lost and um, you know it, it's just it's it's absolute uh, it's it's absolutely tragic there was a, in El Paso there was a, a small child that uh, was shielded by I, uh, his mother and, uh, his mother died in the shooting and uh, she had fallen on top of him so this child had broken bones it was reported uh, likely it was believed according to uh, family members who had talked with investigators while at the hospital that the mother was doing her best to protect her child and uh, it was even reported that the the uh, baby's uh, father had also died in this shooting too so again you know parents shopping for back to school supplies when gunfire changes everything in El Paso absolutely be Tragic isn't the word. Devastating isn't the word. Um, we just we don't have enough words to, to accurately describe what we feel. But we can certainly get some insight on a uh, where these investigations will go, and 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 uh, and B, and, and I think. It's all significant. I, I hate to say A, B, and C because it's all important. Where the investigations will go, but also how we can be safe in situations like this where it seems like even going to the store, you have to watch your back even more. So our expert will join us, uh, expert will join us in a discussion on this, and uh, it's a lengthy one, folks. So you may want to, you may need to pause this for a little bit, think about it, come back in, pause it, where after we talk about... Um, you know, the, the the hundreds of hours that, of manpower that go into the investigation. And then um, you, you'll pick it up again and you may have to pause it again when thinking about you know what needs to be done uh, as far as mental health or what can be done what law enforcement can do as far as mental health issues and keeping guns out of the hands of of uh possible uh attackers and and that sort of thing so it's all there there's a lot to it it's 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 a great conversation in terms of how much uh information there is but It's a lot, so you may need to to break it up in pieces, and that's perfectly okay. So that is going to start right after this. Lots of reaction coming in regarding the tragedies in Dayton and in El Paso. We're joined now by a security consultant that we've talked with a bunch of times uh, for uh, well, various projects on TV and, of course, on the podcast here, John Edelsberger, a former U.S. Secret Service special agent, former Lower Marion police officer, and someone who, uh, as a consultant, you've worked in active shooter survival training. Uh, John, thanks for uh, coming back on
1: my pleasure
0: dave i know this is you know it's always nice when we can talk on better circumstances but of course you know we look at what happened with el paso and of course we started messaging right away on just the tragedy and everything going on there and then you have we wake up to not just el paso and more development there in that story but what happened in dayton uh, in their entertainment district there nine people dead uh, there are twenty people uh, or so dead in in El Paso. What do you make of of these two tragedies that have happened in like thirteen within thirteen hours of each other?
1: Well, first of all, it's very sad, and I send my condolences to the victims of um, both of these mass shootings, which now becomes uh, a, a normal part of uh, American society. Unfortunately. Um, these two incidents in particular uh, are both the complex and dynamic in scope. Um, when you talk about the um, shooting, and I'll go into um, what you asked me to address, and that is how how are these crime scenes handled? What's the uh, response protocol to uh, both of these Um El Paso is, a, is an immense crime scene um, with a very wide scope, uh, covering almost an entire mall, the shooter's car, his house. Um, it, it's immense. I can't, I can't even start to describe the requirements that are gonna put in, be put in play here uh, to cover this. Uh, professionally and adequately. It's it's going to take um, hundreds and hundreds of man hours. Um, First of all, naturally, you want to neutralize the threat, which they did uh, right after the response. The gunman uh, apparently surrendered without any kind of fight. Um, He's taken into custody. Then the second issue is to uh, address all the all the victims that are at the scene, whether they're fatal or uh, need to be transported to the hospital, and that was another uh, 20 dead and 24, I think, transported to the hospital. Um, After that's done, with the assistance of EMT and first responders, then the task starts uh, of establishing a crime scene The purpose of that, Dave, is to ensure that everything, uh, the integrity of any kind of evidence is maintained so that it's not contaminated. So you have to have professional crime scene technicians, if you have that, that, um, that luxury, to come in. Rope off or tape off a crime scene. Now, this, like I said, is immense, and then you have to go in and start your your crime scene investigation. So you're taking measurements, you're taking photographs. Uh, it's it's horrible to think of this, but the bodies had to remain at the at the mall in place where they fell, so that they could be photographed and measured measured in proximity to where the shooter was, because there's a possibility of the probability of prosecution, unless this guy would accept the plea bargain. The, the last news I heard was that Texas is now going to seek the death penalty yep. mm-hmm. as a capital murder case. So you, you then go into uh, an investigative um, protocol where everything is marked and measured and you can just imagine I've, I've been at crime scenes in a single family home that mm. took 20, 24 hours to process. Um, can you imagine the scope of it in an entire mall yeah. at the Walmart store and then over into, into the mall itself? Um, so when you saw the uh, news conference yesterday, you saw that you had multiple local agencies, you had state Texas Rangers, you had the FBI, um, you you had Border Patrol, you have multiple agencies to try to assist and set up that investigation as professionally as possible. Mm. So, you need, hopefully you need trained people to do this job so that um, the evidence that you have to preserve is not contaminated in any way so you're doing everything from collecting shell casings and photographing them to uh fingerprints to collecting close circuit tv and video gather from everybody who shot it at, at that scene blood evidence um and then then you have to go into gathering witnesses and getting statements from everybody um before they're memory blurs and and you lose that. So, they're trying to set it up so that in the case of um, prosecution down the road, that they can go in and present a, a, a beautiful case to seal a conviction.
0: There's so much there that explains that kind of goes into answering the question how and why. Um, and you laid it out very nicely there. I, and I, I, I appreciate that because you talk about the man hours and and it is chilling to think that these bodies have to be there for some time for all of this work to be done.
1: Oh, and you know, and I, I wrote about it yesterday. I said that when we pray for the victims, we also have to pray for the first responders. I um I taught a course in the Middle East with another instructor who who um unfortunately was up there and stay in guilt when those children were killed. Mm. He was a crime scene commander, and he said, John, I lost a lot of state troopers and first responders who were there because they were so dramatically tra- traumatized by what they had to deal with there with the children that they they couldn't come back to work.
0: Wow. and I, And I can only imagine that, like, and for everybody, it's different. For every first responder, it's different, right, in terms of what they can take, what they can't take, and, and processing that. I mean, there's been, I know guys in the city of Philadelphia, police department, they've seen a lot of tough cases, you know, um, and then there's others, that there's some that stand out a lot more than others, but I, can, I can't even imagine a mass scene like that. And then you have the one in Gilroy, uh, California, with ch- children involved, you know, deceased children involved. So does every? I mean, I guess every first responder, you know, for as much as your training, as far as it can take you, there's there's that emotional toll, and, and you can only take so much, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That everybody's temperament and uh, constitution is different, and that goes um, goes for first responders as well. I know my first fatal car accident that I had, and my first suicide that I had to handle as a police officer, Um, I will never forget the scenes as I walked up to them. You never know how you're going to respond until you're there on the scene. And then you can either process it and let it go, or you can process it and you can wear that trauma for the rest of your life, Mm. uh, depending on on what you can handle.
0: When we talk about the why and you know the the suspect in El Paso the report of the uh um the manifesto and the racist material and and something four page uh, uh document that was published uh hours apparently like i think a, a, just a few hours or so i heard it reported before this uh, this all happened um how much of that goes into these kinds of investigations i mean how how is that approached the you know documents that somebody publishes online i think at one point um It was the media was careful to say, uh, you know, it wasn't positive that it came from him, but there was a general idea that it did. How does that part of the investigation work? Is it a digital forensics approach too?
1: Yeah, that's where the FBI came into play at the news conference yesterday when they offered their assistance. um, They'll come. They'll. They'll come in on at least two different angles. One is um, they have great. Technicians that can go in and analyze the um, computer in his home and, and look for um, fingerprints on there that will link him directly to the manifesto that he um, put online. Um, and then secondly, they're going to use their FBI behavioral analysis unit to do a, what's called a forensic autopsy. And that is they're going to go into his head. They're going to go into the shooter's mind and try to analyze what provoked him to um you know what set off the fuse is that that felt uh, he felt compelled to go in and actually actually take people's lives in that in that scene. It's just um tragic for what they're trying to do is yeah. trying to move forward to uh prevent the next one, right?
0: Yeah, no, no doubt about that. You have to. Um, what kind of things, uh, you know? And, and I don't know, uh, you know, how much experience you've had with, say, profiling. I know there's there's FBI profilers, but are there, you know, certain things that? Um, and, and this is all still early, very much in both cases. But are there things that um, criteria is the wrong word, but patterns patterns that generally stand out for mass shooting suspects and why they do what they do the motives are different but are there are there common patterns that often that that investigators find in these cases
1: well they they want to look at uh, at all aspects they want to do a 360 degree um degree uh investigation into his background um who he associated with they spend a lot of time on the internet was he involved as a member of different uh, radical groups, extremist groups? They're going to look at all that and analyze it to see how it all fits together in a in, a, in a big scheme of things.
0: One of the things that I that came out of the press conference yesterday, and um, and I think there's a I saw there's another press conference for uh, El Paso scheduled for uh, today. Um, and I'm or this evening, and I'm just curious. You know, you, you, we heard that the the FBI, I think, special agent in charge, who had said, uh, you know, it's so important for people to report if they come across anything online, anything that indicates somebody may may act on a threat or act on some kind of a hostility um, or a bias that it has to be reported right away. How um, we were talking too about how law enforcement doesn't have enough resources to do that, but it's still important. Um, Obviously, there's still a lot that law enforcement can do, right, to check these kind of things. Can you talk about how that works? I mean, how, um, you know, if somebody reports a message they saw like this manifesto online before something happens, how does that work? Um, that, that's a critical uh, piece, things, of that
1: a lot of people, civilians... In particular, uh, Miss Avalon. Law enforcement is greatly assisted by sometimes the most innocent or benign reports that they receive from the civilian world. Um, again, when we when we see something suspicious, all you need to do is make a phone call. And if if it's nothing that's um, significant to um, criminal activity, they're they're glad to at least look at it. But so many, so many um, actors and people that commit crimes will will send out cues to the world um, or to a loved one that they're about to break, about to have a psychotic break and commit a crime. There's many, many times where there's been cues that have been either disregarded or dismissed. And later on, I taught overseas a lot. I taught in eight different foreign countries and we studied the fascinations of politicians and heads of state and many, many times there were very innocent um, cues that were sent out. Um, One in Italy where prime minister, former prime minister was kidnapped and then killed where a fruit vendor saw suspicious activity and they, they were the shooters, the assassins that were doing run-throughs or practices before they actually, um, blockaded his, uh, limousine and shot him, he and his bodyguards the next morning. Um, the fruit vendor on the corner had warned these guys in the motorcade, don't come this way because you, you have bad guys that are waiting to, um, hurt you, and they disregarded it because he was a simple fruit bender. Mm. Well, he had had, uh, very, very astute observation skills, and he could have prevented, they could have prevented an assassination by listening to that.
0: Wow. So there's so much that you can learn obviously as far as prevention too. Um, The the shortage, I mean, do do you think um, it's the the mental toll on, of the job that that might dissuade some people from joining law enforcement i mean there's there's probably i mean there's a critical it seems like with all these shootings that happen there's a critical need for more specialists right more people to to do these investigations especially just the social media part of it alone is that a fair statement to make
1: yeah i i believe so. i agree with that to an extent um you have a generational dynamic, Dave, that um, young people today are not real hip to uh, getting into law enforcement. When I I got into my first police job in 1975, and I felt honored and privileged to wear a badge and, and um, serve the community. But today's generation is... Um, is not so uh, inclined um, as a general statement. So um, it's very difficult to recruit and maintain um, people that have that as a passion to uh, serve in law enforcement. Mm.
0: Um, I guess, what's your, you know, there's been so much discussion about, um, there was a, I think the Lieutenant Governor of Texas talked about video games and violent video games being an influence, um, and we do know the the Texas shooter did reference um, uh, one of the big games out there about fulfilling a fantasy related to a game, you know, uh, mass lethal, lethal force and everything. Uh, but there's also, you know, there's been talk about the rhetoric where we are in the country, uh, rhetoric from politicians, uh, a rise in, in, we've there's certainly been a rise in anti-Semitism in recent years, there's been a rise in, in white supremacy and all of these things. I mean, what do you see, and I guess you know, more your opinion, uh, of what could have been the, the primary cause of, of this, this situation? From what we know, at least in El Paso, now that they're looking at this, um, there's a hate crime element to it. They're looking at it, obviously investigating it as domestic terrorism. I mean, what do you think, are, in your view, are some of the causes that might have led up to this, based on what we know now?
1: um I, I agree i agree that there's that we've never been such a hate filled country as we are today and and my belief is that it comes from the top when when you have somebody who is demeaning and degrading um groups of people demeaning and degrading um legislators and congresswomen um and, and alluding to um sending them back to their their family's country of art and it, what this does is it lights the fuse on people that have mental illness issues or are marginally uh, functional, but have the ability to grab them buy automatic weapons, buy AK-47s, and you know if, you, if you're a, a movie uh, a movie follower, if you go all the way back to Taxi Driver mm. and Robert De Niro back yeah. then you know they're influenced by what they see on TV what they hear and, and and it's crazy they're just like I spent a lot of time in the Middle East and uh, especially when I was in Iraq there are a lot of followers there are a lot of sheep who are lead who just follow the leader and if they tell them that these people are no good that's goes right into their belief system, then it goes into their delusional system, and then they do crazy stuff like what we saw in the last two days.
0: yeah how do we keep guns out of the hands of i mean there's there's, there's always a debate about civil liberties and mental health and and where the government can step in you know um, you know there's there, there's all kinds of privacy laws you know that come associated with health care, obviously you know or health. And, and HIPAA and such, but where you know, where do you think we marry the two—the the mental health community and investigation—and and really finding law enforcement finding enough as far as mental health concerns to keep guns out of the hands of of a potentially dangerous person. I mean, I, I know it's a big question, but where do you where do you think we start with that?
1: Well, that, you know that that is a complex and dynamic question yeah. that would take. um, 10 years is found. Um, I I am an absolute advocate of keeping semi-automatic weapons out of the hands of civilians. And this is my opinion. There is no reason for Joe Smith next door to have an AR-15 or an AK-47. There's just absolutely no practical reason. If if, If you feel so inclined to have or compelled to have a handgun for home safety in case of a home invasion or what you own a business um, I understand that and it's your second amendment right I understand that but to have, I know people that have 30 guns in their homes mm. I, 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 don't, I don't get it I don't get it and in fact my experience with it was last year I, I had a security assignment I need to have a weapon for it. So I went into a local gun store in Philadelphia to pick up a, a small handgun. And, um, it, Dave, it took 20 minutes for him to do my background. Wow. The guy the guy went into the back room. He, he ran a computer search to see whether I had a record. And he came back out and said, Here you go. Here's your weapon. The guy next to me was carrying out six long guns. Hmm. Yeah. what do they need six long guns for? I mean these are semi-automatic weapons they weren't 30-30 hunting rifles or whatever 30-on-6 yeah. these were uh, assault type weapons yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't get it
0: yeah it's it's amazing it only takes 20 minutes you know um, and, and it can happen so quick uh, especially for even some of the higher grade, like the AK forty sevens and things like that, where are and this is sort of a different question too. Um, it seems like at least in, in the you know we, we talk about mass shootings, which the I think the FBI defines it as four or more casualties, not including the shooter, uh, or so uh, as what I had uh, I had read. Um, a lot of these, I was surprised just to, you know being on the streets of either Philly or Trenton in, in recent years to see. A lot of these same kind of weapons used in mass shootings here, I mean, we don't generally, they don't get called mass shootings in a sense. Uh, You know, people kind of play with the terminology. But certainly shootings where like seven, eight people are hit by gunfire at one time. And in some cases, it's 17, 18, 19-year-olds with AK-47s. I mean, where are these weapons coming from? Or, excuse me, can these people just go into the stores and get them too?
1: Um, The... the there's a couple sources. Uh, one is a legitimate purchase um, in, a, in a store um, where you can go in and just buy, the, buy these weapons. And the second is a strong buyer. Um, I, I know somebody who works at the state level on the task force for uh, weapons, and he said it is like um, a leak in the dam. He said, you, you seize, through an investigation in Philadelphia, you seize 10 weapons and the next time there's 50, then right. there's 100. He said, you just can't stop it. It's literally virtually unstoppable at this point in time. So so there's different ways to get them. And Dave, we are talking about millions yeah. of weapons on the street, not, not tens or hundreds or thousands. We're talking about millions of weapons on the street.
0: That's the scary thing that have been out there for... God knows how long, you know, and and they're still being made, and and and, you, and and weapons that you know many of them you don't know they're not in the hands of their owners they're not stored properly they're they're on the black market too right
1: yeah yeah and um you know this, we could go on for eight hours just in that discussion because the NRA is such a strong influential group they can't touch the politicians because they own the politicians mm-hmm. so therefore. There's no legislation being passed that's going to limit, and, and I'm telling you, it, it is a, um, a strong, passionate group of gun owners and Second Amendment right advocates who uh, will who will literally die for the right to carry, you know, carry arms. Um, but but to me, it, it's gone it's gone too far to extreme, and like I said, it, you know, if, if you have a legitimate purpose, you're law enforcement or your military special forces guy, you know, then you know how to handle it. But we are averaging a hundred people a day
0: being killed in America by gun violence. It's, it's astronomical. I mean, the, the numbers are so sobering, you know, the, uh, I mean, it could be whether it's domestics or whether it's, uh, you know, just random attacks or anything. Um, I was wondering, and I want to get into this kind of uh, you know, I guess in wrapping up a little bit, um, the what can people do? You know, I I, I was talking to some friends who were going to go to a, a festival in Detroit. And I said, you know, you get just be careful, you know. And yes, you know, Detroit's not El Paso in that situation. And it's not Dayton, although Dayton's not terribly far from my home state. Um, it, it, these things can happen anywhere is the point. And, and I guess the question is, what can... Can people do? We always hear, you know, um, if you see something, say something, and 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 be vigilant, you know. But is there any any way to take that up a notch? You know, what what can people really do to look out for their safety? When you know we have all these distractions, our cell phones and things going on around us, and everything else happening in our lives, you know. And you can't even go to the store and and buy you know back to school supplies without some people getting killed. What what's the best defense that people can have? You know. For themselves and people around them
1: and you well opinion. and um and I was just going to i mean again, I could teach this for a week, yeah, you know, each course called situational awareness, and that that is um you know it's sad it's it's um, heartbreaking to think that you can't go to Walmart to get your kids close for school, but um from a practical standpoint, a mass shooter just one one item. A mass shooter is going to look for uh, maximum kills. So he's going to look for maximum casualty potential. He's going to hit somewhere when there's a large number of people there, whether it's a crowded church, crowded mall, crowded um, shopping center, a school at at the beginning of school or the end of school. He's going to look for um, maximum kill potential. So... I hate to say this, but if you need to go to Walmart, go at 10 o'clock at night, because nobody's gonna be there, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, you know, when we come to a point in time, and there is no other country that you compare to the United States in terms of these ridiculous number of people being killed in that case. There's, there's nowhere in the world. So uh, there's, to, to me, there's no defense, but, you, you, when you go to a, a food festival in California, and you're getting shot at while you're listening to music, yeah. that's the sad commentary, right?
0: Yeah, totally. The saddest commentary, just, yeah.
1: Just like you said, being vigilant, being observant. If you if you go somewhere, and the last time we spoke um, on a podcast, and I, I alluded to this thing. If you see somebody and you don't feel right in your gut about the way the person looks, the way the person's acting, the way they're, they're, they're dressed, if they have a long coat on, if they have a backpack or a duffel bag in a place where it just doesn't fit, um, like this doesn't belong here or he doesn't belong here, then you, you listen to those cues inside your gut and act on them. And I don't care, you know, um, it's funny, uh, when we were kids, we would go to the dances on on Friday night. And I remember one night, the police coming, this is back in the late 60s, but the cops came in because there was a lot of gang activity in Northeast Philly back then. And they put the lights on and a cop came over and grabbed me and threw me against the wall. And he started to pat me down and he said, I think I have something on this kid. So the cops all come over and they search me. I had chalk from school. Mm. I had a piece of chalk from, he thought I was a knife, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. But, but he was doing his job, you know what I mean? So yeah, right. even if it turns out to be nothing, don't let something that you suspect to be suspicious um, go away. And then later
0: on, you hear that, that somebody got hurt. You know, act on your suspicion, your your gut instinct. Like you said, it's it really all comes back to that. It really does. So many times, um, and I
1: and I've studied every assassination attempt and mass shooting in in the United States, coming kind of back to nineteen. I think. Um, uh, you the University of Austin, or University of Texas, where the shooter took out a lot of people back in 1964, I think, mm. um, I've studied them all, and they're dynamic and they're complex, but um, like I said, the majority of time, people who commit these crimes are gonna do either a practice or they're gonna leak out their intent somehow, whether it's on the internet or to a friend there was just one day, I think, yesterday or the day before, where a kid went into a store and bought ammunition and told people oh, this was the incident with Temple Police. Um, oh yeah. Yep. He was gonna he was gonna take out uh, Temple Police, um, but the store employee had the had the presence of mind to make a phone call and they locked the guy out. Mm.
0: And and that's what it's about that phone call saves countless lives um let me ask you this in closing um there's is, is there i, I guess i i remember a story i did it was a horrible story uh the the young girl samantha josephson from uh, uh central new jersey who uh got into a, a vehicle mistaking it for an uber and and uh she was um you know she tragically was, was killed by this this suspect and uh, in South Carolina, and I, I know this is different. It's not about what we're, you know, what we're talking about with El Paso and Dayton. But where I get into this is the idea of um the police chief of that case really just expressed, uh, you know, you could tell it was personal for them, you know, and how they investigated this, and you could tell how how urgent it was for them to get justice for this family, you know. And I'm wondering if you felt that in your career and if you think that the people investigating the law enforcement specialists investigating Dayton and um, in El Paso will they feel that just as passionately too? I mean do they develop a closeness to the victims over time you know we're we're talking you know 24 hours not you know out from this right not even a full I think 24 hours out from what had happened in El Paso but over time do you you sense that kind of pattern and how Um, this can become so personal for law enforcement too?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, hopefully um, you develop over time a callus in your your heart. I I hate to say it, but it's the only way to survive being in the business for so long. Um, You can't wear the emotional hurt that families go through with um, losing somebody like that young lady that got into that that Uber. Yeah. But you do, you do, depending, I work, I work in a hospital setting now and majority of my time is in the emergency room in a trauma center and um, I deal with families a lot and your heart breaks for them, but you can't let it break. Um, You have to, you focused on your job, um, what you need to do to complete a a thorough investigation, but you always have sympathy or empathy um, with, with the families that are victimized by this and, and have this sense of loss that will never go away, Dave. It just it never goes away. Like I said, my first um, DUI um, accident that I handled in 1980, I'll still tell you that the driver was Mary Karen Brandt who was 35 years old and was killed by a drunk driver um, uh, on Lancaster out near, near Lincoln like, you know, Hospital, and um, I'll never forget her, and uh-huh. um, and the guy who killed her, um, who did prison time and all. But I'll never forget those names and what I walked up on when I got to that that accident scene.
0: Oh, I can only imagine how graphic that was, and oh my gosh. Um, I, I, I did. A, I guess one last question, as far as I. I you know where these cases are going now going back to el paso and dayton is where do you see what do you think over the next two days what will be the next steps and what will be the most critical points of the investigation just kind of uh wrapping that up
1: well i mean that's a, that's more or less an open shut um investigation that there's so much evidence um already against this this young man you know it's funny because but not funny but curious that both of these guys were in their early 20s, both of these years. But the, um, the one in El Paso, they, they, that's an open and sealed conviction in my mind. Um, Texas will probably handle the prosecution of it. And as of right now, their attorney general is going to seek, um, the, the death penalty in this case. And I, and I think, I think that's the way it's going to go. I don't even know if they're going to offer him a plea bargain because they, they, we need to make an example now, a uh, prolific example of what the consequences are if you decide like, uh, like an idiot or not, um, to take an automatic weapon out and mow people down. So I think what's going to happen is you'll, you'll see that the state attorney general is going to act towards um, entering, um, entering, a, entering a camp to court where they're going to go for the death
0: penalty. All right, we will watch that closely, El Paso and Dayton. Uh, John Adelsberger, former uh, U.S. Secret Service special agent and uh, consultant uh, on all things security, uh, former Lower Marion police officer as well. Thank you so much for your time as always, sir. It's always great to talk with you.
1: Dave, my pleasure. You have a good evening. John, many
0: thanks again for being on the show and many thanks to you for listening. And listen, this is, as we know, the the tragic reality of our lives today, uh, staying alive when in public spaces. I mean, that's really as simple as it gets. Follow your gut instinct, know where the exits are, Situational awareness, all of that so critically critically important. I remember when it was said after nine eleven we can 't let fear take over our lives that 's true, but you do we we have to be as vigilant as we can and more so than we ever have before. I mean that 's just the simple reality of where we are today. So again, this podcast uh, once a week, but we are online. Uh, And we do do extra shows uh, as the news warrants, but uh, certainly you can follow us 24-7 on Dave Kinchin Tonight on Facebook. We post the latest news updates there. We will be closely following El Paso, Dayton, and even any more developments uh, uh, with Gilroy. But I can tell you that um, between... Our Facebook page and our Twitter account at Dave USA, uh, where we will continue to follow all of this. We're not only we're looking at the law enforcement side too, with uh, following the FBI, following El Paso Police, Dayton Police, and the congressional debate about this, about uh, background checks legislation, and uh, the the legislation that that uh, cleared the House, uh, that's somewhat passed by the Senate. Where we go as far as the gun control debate again, uh, where we go as far as uh, the talk of hate speech or the talk of white nationalism and uh, and and hate in general and uh what our national leaders on both sides of the aisle will be saying about that all of that we will continue to follow and we will also uh repost our show on our facebook page uh on Surviv- survivor's Skills. in fact we will do this on twitter too uh so you will see the post for this show and then the post uh, uh with our interview uh that we did uh our interview with patience carter who survived the pulse nightclub shooting um, a while back so we have that we have a lot of resources on the emotional side how to process this on the tactical side the investigative side and the side of prevention too so um, not the best topic topics to talk about uh, on this podcast of course but we we cover the light stuff and we cover the the very heavy and the very tragic and we are on that side of it today, tragically, but we will keep you informed and uh, and, and give you as much insight as we can uh, as we put these shows together. And one of the great things about podcasting, the insight, the interviews and things like that, uh, as our guest, uh, John Edelsberger, uh, obviously gave us tonight. So we hope you have a great and safe, most importantly, safe week ahead. Please look out for yourselves, look out for each other as well. Much more to come in this week. Stay focused, uh, stay alert, and uh, just take care, folks. It's all we can do.